Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm very excited about my next uh, guest. And by the way, I don't have a lot of guests on the show because I do like to hear from you all, my audience. But this is such a critically important um, issue. And we have really one of the world's experts on the American education system and Betsy DeVos. Betsy, as most of you know, served as the education secretary for Donald Trump. And I think was maybe the best education secretary we ever had in this country. And what she tried to do for our schools was amazing um, with some success and some failures. But I think that um, her new book out is just amazing. It's called Hostages No More, The Fight for Education Freedom. I love that. The Fight for Education Freedom. That is something I was wholeheartedly in favor of. Uh, and by the way, I'm looking right now on my computer screen, and I see that you can get this book on Google for – if you want the paperback, you can get it for just $14.95, or if you want to get the hardback version, you can get that for $29. So it's very cheap, but it's really important. The message, Betsy, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Well, thanks, Steve. It's great to be with you. All right. Well, let's get right down to it because I'm, I'm going to ask you to start with a very broad question, if I may. And that is, can you just kind of maybe in a few minutes describe how you um, what you believe the condition of American public education today? Well, Steve, uh, this last two years has really laid bare the problems with our K-12 education approach like never before and has really exposed to people um, what I've what I've known to be the case for decades, right. and, uh, and and so uh, so as compared to our uh, you know competitors in the rest of the world, we aren't even the, in the top ten uh, in any measure. So we're 37th in math, uh, we're okay. 13th in reading, and 18th in science, and that was all before the pandemic. So we know that you know America performed dismally as compared to the rest of the world with getting kids back in school, and uh, and so we we know that uh, kids felt even further behind our in, international competitors, uh, and and then when you look within our country and at the assessments of kids across the country, we know that fully a third of them before the pandemic were not able to read at grade level. And that, again, was before the last two years. Um, And, you know, the Department of Education was founded in 1979 as a payoff to the teachers unions by Jimmy Carter. Uh, We've spent over a trillion dollars since then with the express purpose of closing the achievement gap. Not Mm -hmm. only has it not narrowed one little bit, uh, the top performers have actually plateaued off and the bottom performers have actually plummeted further. So we've spent tons and tons of money, and we've expected better and better results, and instead we've gotten worse results. So uh, that's a pretty dire summary, but I think it's highly accurate. And now I want to get to the why. You know, why are the schools so malperforming? And um, I think that 
you know, let me give you an example, a personal example, and then I'd love your response to this. So my two stepsons that are 13 and 14, um, and they, by the way, they're both great kids. They're completely opposite. One is, very, uh, you know, very introverted and shy and, and uh, he doesn't have a lot of friends and buries himself in the books. But the other one is highly uh, – is kind of mischievous and, and doesn't want to go to school and et cetera, et cetera. And so – but they're both bright kids. And, but both of them were really struggling, Betsy, during the shutdown mm. of the school. And, you know, yeah. we could see it day after day. It was making their problems much worse. Now, sure. the story kind of has a happy ending because about nine months ago, we started, we uh, sent our kids to a Catholic school. And by the way, I live in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is, you've been to Montgomery County. You know, mm-hmm. it's one, mm-hmm. what, a third or fourth richest county in the country. <laughs> and yeah. yet the schools yep. were so underperforming. And I've got to tell you this, Betsy, I mean, the difference in these kids in nine months, and I'm going to summarize what I think were the three factors that really have, have led to such incredible improvement. Number one, expectations. <laughs> these schools have mm-hmm. very high expectations. Number two, discipline in the classroom. I mean, if you don't, if you misbehave you're severely punished. I don't know if they still use rulers. I I still have the the uh, blisters on my knuckles from the nuns hitting me on that. Uh, but but the number three is just a classical civil you know classical education. Um, and mm-hmm. it seems mm-hmm. to me none of that is happening in the public schools. And I'd love your reaction to that. Well, the reality is that for far too many kids, their their assigned school isn't working for them. And you use the example of your stepsons being very different in their personalities, probably right. very yep. different in the ways they learn. The, yes. the system does not acknowledge individuality. The system is a 175-year-old, one-size-fits-all industrial model approach, and it's it's a monopoly. I mean, only if you have the economic resources can you make a choice to send your child to a tuition-paying school or to move to a place where you buy a home that's in a, quote, good area. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is fundamentally unjust. We should be focused solely on individual kids and supporting them and their futures. And so I, I like to use the metaphor of a backpack. Kids go to school, most kids go to school every day with the things they need for the day in their backpack. We need to metaphorically attach the money that's already being spent on that child Mm -hmm. or is designated for that child and put it in that backpack for the family to decide where and how that child is going to get their education and their learning. And when we unleash that kind of creativity and that kind of power for every family, we will have better results almost immediately. We will have all kinds of diverse and different approaches to how kids experience their K-12 years, and it will fundamentally change the future for millions of American kids. Um, I like to say as an economist, Betsy, that I, I truly believe that the single biggest factor in income inequality in this country, to the extent you know that we have income inequality, is the dismal quality of our schools. And you can see this, that the, that the uh, you know, the kids who grow up to be highly functioning adults that make a lot of money are able to go to good schools. And the kids that don't, are, you know, it's really difficult to escape that trap of poverty. Do you agree with that? No, I think that's absolutely right. And um, if there is anything that is actually systemically racist in our country, it is our government-run, government-controlled public school system. And that has to change. We should be, like I said, focused on individual children 
not on yep. a system, not on buildings. It, you know, the, the nonsense about saying, well, you know, the system is going to suffer if we allow parents to make these decisions. It's not about the system. It's about every family's child and their children having an equal opportunity for a great future. And that will happen when we unleash the power of the purse, the power of the resources, which on average today across the country is $15,000 per child per year. Some places spend a whole lot more, other places less. But we spend over $750 billion a year on K-12 education, and yet we have the most dismal results to show for it for the kids who can least afford to have, you know, to have that reality. Now, the good news, I think, and by the way, uh, this is, a, you know, a fantastic book called Hostages No More, uh, The Case for uh, Education Freedom. Um, I think, Betsy, you know, I've been in this game a long time of politics and policy, uh, that this is sort of what I call the school choice or parental choice moment. People have seen what you what you've described. People have seen it firsthand now of what their kids are learning, the, the dismal quality of of uh, of the uh, curriculums and so on. And so you just see people much, much more open to this idea than ever before. And so it That's seems right. to me the time is right. I worked for Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, as you know. I know you advised him. Uh, I think he won on the education issue. I think that's absolutely right. He um, he captured the moment, and and it, you know it was such a distinction between his outlook and his focus on students and families and that and and their you know child's future versus Terry McAuliffe's uh, focus on the system and just basically bowing to the teachers union and their allies whatever they said the fact that he had Randy Weingarten you know to to wrap up his right. campaign said it all. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to just comment on the, the title yeah. for my book, Hostages No More, because it, it is a provocative title, but it is a direct reference to Horace Mann's quote, Horace Mann, the founder of our K-12 education system, 175 years ago, said, educators are entitled to look upon parents as having given their children hostages to our cause. Now, uh. at the time, I'm sure the cause was probably quite laudable, but that right. cause has become very different today, and parents across the country are seeing it. You know, as an economist, I always say that, um, you know, we, it's it's so interesting to me that two of our most important industries in America, maybe the most important industries, are our education industry and our healthcare industry, and those are the two industries that we don't use the free enterprise system that we've used the kind of command and control yep. structure. And it's so it's interesting absolutely. to me that those are the two industries that also have had the rise, the the least product, well, you know, the highest increase in prices. And with respect to yep. education, you'd probably have to say that we're uh, maybe I'm overreaching here, but that we've almost had negative productivity. Uh, that is, you know, the more money we put in, the less we get out. Am I wrong about yeah, that? No, I, th I think no, I think that's absolutely right. And you know, we spend the most um, uh, most of any of the any of the you know competitors around the world. We spend the most, with the exception of two very very tiny countries that have a handful of students, basically. Right, right. And and yet and yet we have we have uh, you know results that just cannot be defended. And that's why those who have really stood for and and uh, and tried to preserve the status quo, 
they cannot argue on the merits on the merits of these of these debates. Yeah. They have to continue to they have to continue to try to you know take down and and uh, diminish those who are trying to make a difference for kids. So um, I'm going to uh, say something a little bit provocative, and I'd like your reaction to this. And it's sort of outside of what most Republicans say, but I do think that teachers in this country are underpaid, Betsy, and especially excellent teachers. They're way underpaid, in my opinion. And I'd like to see the Republicans say, hey, we think that teachers should be paid more, more money for their salaries because of their importance. But, but, and I think, yeah. Let me just yeah, say I, something. I, I, mean, think, I love your okay, Sure. Yep. With the condition, though, that we have to get rid of bad teachers, just like any any industry. You've got highly performing people on a job, and you have some people who maybe just probably shouldn't be in front of a classroom. And in, in some cases, it's not even their fault. They're just, you know, they just aren't up for the task. And yet it's almost impossible to get rid of the bad teachers. And so we're not able to reward the good teachers. So I just would love your reaction to that. Well, I I think you're absolutely right. Look, in a system of education freedom where every single family is empowered with the resources for their child's education, a great teacher becomes the most valuable part of that equation. Yes. And education freedom is great for teachers because it allows them to find the kind of setting that they really are thriving on. So I, I think about, and I use this example a couple of times this week, but there's a, a, a school in um, West Michigan that some of my children, my uh, relatives' grandchildren go to. It's mm-hmm. an outdoor school. So in Michigan, year-round, these kids are outdoors almost their entire school day. Oh my and gosh, that's wow. how and where they learn. Now, uh-huh. the teachers who are part of that program are absolutely loving it. That is very different than your traditional classroom. Right. I use as as an example not to say that's the only uh, other kind of setting that you could have, but to just say that for teachers, education freedom would be a a huge benefit for them them as well, because again, they're the most highly valued part of that equation, and uh, the you know the bad ones will ultimately sort out if if again the consumer the the customer, the the student and their family are entirely empowered to make their choices and decisions based on where they're going to get their best education. You know, you probably know this story uh, because uh, we're both um, friends with Scott Walker, the former governor of Wisconsin. It was one of my favorite governors of all time, and he was amazing. But he yeah. loves to tell this story. Now, it's a few years old, but I think this is still going on. That This is no lie, folks. I'm not making this up. You can look it up. That the, the teacher who is rated the teacher of the year, Betsy, in the state of Wisconsin, was laid off because it was a you know last in, first out system of tenure. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, can you imagine a baseball team saying we're going to get rid of our, our best player? And so this is just a little microcosm, in my opinion, of what's wrong with our education system. No, absolutely. And and I had a couple of roundtables with teachers while I was serving as secretary, ones who had been teachers of the year in their state or their district. And after doing their victory lap for that year, had gone back to their schools, to their classrooms, and then subsequently had quit teaching. And I wanted to know and understand why. And almost to a person, it was, we, you know, we came back, 
we thought we were going to have an opportunity to help maybe uh, mentor other teachers, or but we were basically told to get back in our box. You've had your moment, and now, you know, go back to your classroom and be on page 32 on Wednesday of this week. Um, and, and they, you know, they, they here, they were teachers of the year in some form or fashion, and they quit teaching. We have got to turn that around, mm. and we've got to welcome people like that back into environments where they're going to thrive because that's going to be best for our kids. Now, under the system that you talk about in your book, which is excellent, this is Hostages No More. I'm speaking with Betsy DeVos, uh, who was the education secretary under um, under uh, Donald J. Trump. Under the system, just kind of describe how this would work for people because it's a, you know, you're really thinking out of the box. It's not that radical and my idea, but as I understand it, so you, you would basically allow the parents to have the you know sixteen, eighteen, twenty thousand dollars, whatever the amount of money is, and the, essentially, if I understand your model, the the kind of the money uh, follows this the parents and the students, and and they send right. their kids. They could send their kids to the public school. They could send it to a. Could they do a Catholic school, a Jewish school, a Montessori school? I mean, what what schools yep, would be eligible? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Any any uh, education provider that, you know, and each state would probably have some uh, guardrails to set up around what education expenses could or would look like. But um, and again, respecting federalism, uh, this has to this has to be um, under, you know, acknowledging that every state is going to look slightly different. But ideally, the, you know, the parents have uh, an education savings account for each child and they get the, you know, the the, uh, monies in annually to spend on their child's education. They can take it to the school in their geographically assigned school. If that school is working well for them, there's no reason to change and they shouldn't have to. But uh-huh. maybe that school, maybe that school doesn't have uh, a couple of classes that their child really wants to have. Well, uh-huh. they could reserve a portion of their funds and um, and and then take that, you know, take that to a, a virtual provider or another provider in town to uh-huh. learn whatever it is that child wants to learn that way. Um, it could it could uh, go to families who want to form a small. Uh, micro school or like a one room type schoolhouse yeah. to, 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 you know, that, a throwback. That, that's happened but, by the way in, in our, you know, that happened during COVID a lot where parents absolutely. just got together and, and they'd have eight or 10 kids and, and then they learned. <laughs> and, and, and they, you know, in many cases they hired a teacher if they had the resources, well, this would give parents the resources to be able to hire a great educator to be with their kids to, and, and I think about, you know, the shyer more, um, you know, quiet student who might do better in an environment that's smaller, or, um, you know, it, it might be a school that is focused or, or uh, oriented around demonstrating mastery of concepts and material, which, by the way, I think is ultimately the way, uh, you know, students ought to progress and in, 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 in how we should assess them is, you know, you, if you don't learn a math concept, yet you're moved on, uh, you're not going to you're not going to be successful down the road if you don't have those building blocks. And so, you know, sending your kid to a, a, a place that is modeled or oriented around demonstrating mastery of subject matter um, and letting them move at their own speed. So there's really not, you know, grade level distinctions. Um, or maybe it's a school that uh, that is open longer hours because you're a working a single working parent 
And, um, you know, your community has brought in a bunch of wraparound services that are all kind of housed together in this longer day school uh, that works, you know, that will work perfectly for your schedule and works well for your child. And there's, there's no limit to the possibilities or the creativity that I am confident um, Americans can generate if we go to, if we change the paradigm completely and empower the families to make these choices and decisions. So uh, we've only got about two minutes left. I'm, I'm speaking with Betsy DeVos, the former education secretary for Donald Trump and the author of Hostages No More. But in the last just 90 seconds, Betsy, uh, I will play the devil's advocate. And you've heard this complaint many times. But what, uh, you know, the teachers unions say to what you've said is this is going to be the death of our public school system. And I would say absolutely not, demonstrably not. Because all you need to do is look at Florida, which has uh, advanced the most kinds of choices and uh, levels, you know, numbers of students that are actually exercising choice, whether it's within the public school system and district or uh, with using the tax credit scholarship program. You know, hundreds of, I mean, thousands and thousands of kids in Florida making choices, if not hundreds of thousands, making choices other than their assigned school. And there have been more than several studies that have have demonstrated that kids in districts where the most kids are making different choices, all of their achievement levels rises and all of them improve because, you know, there's reaction to what's going on in your in your community and people make decisions accordingly. Well, this is that was uh, Betsy DeVos. Betsy, thank you so much for uh, joining us. The book is Hostages No More. Great, great book. You have the solution that will liberate millions of our kids and get get them to be highly functional adults and grow this economy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.